Good morning, Edge City Church. Can you make some noise? So good to see you here this morning. Uh, for those of our guests that are here, I just want to welcome you to Edge City Church, where we are one church in two locations. Uh, we are multi-ethnic, multi-generational, disciple-making church, multiplying prayer-focused uh, church that wants to connect people to Jesus and to this community of faith. My name is Finn Varghese. I serve as the lead pastor here at Edge City Mineola. Um, so glad to uh, see you here. Uh, for those of you um, who don't know, we are continuing our sermon series, uh, Letters from the Roman Jail. Uh, this is a series that we're going to be starting in the book of Ephesians. Uh, then we're going to be going to the book of Philippians, then Colossians, then Philemon. Uh, these are letters that Paul was writing from uh, this cell there uh, from the Roman jail. Um, so in today's text, as Jonathan was reading for us, Paul is now here and he is talking to Christians. And these are people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And he is telling these people, telling these Christians there and telling us today as well to take off our old clothes, and, and we need to put on a new set of clothes. But he's not talking about a literal clothes. He is using this as an illustration that when we did not follow Jesus, there was this certain way that we lived. There was a certain uh, characteristic that was true of us. There was these certain virtues that we put on. And he's saying that now that you're following Jesus, there's some things that you need to take off. And he's saying, now that you're following, following Jesus, so too, there's certain characteristics, there's certain virtues, and a way to live your life, now that you are a follower of Jesus, that you need to put on. And this is an intentional process here. Uh, and just like if you were to see a police officer or a firefighter or a football player in their uniform, it would be very clear who they are and in just what they were about to do. So too, the Christian ought to wear a certain way of life where the outside observer can just look in and go, I bet he or she is a Christian. I bet he or she walks with Jesus. I can just tell by the clothes that they have clothed themselves with. And this analogy here is this uh, new set of clothing is actually our author Paul's, one of his favorite analogies to use in the New Testament to describe a life post-conversion, after you place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, what does the Christian life look like? In Colossians chapter 3, it says that, uh, that there are certain old practices that we need to take off, and there's certain new ones that we need to put on. And in Galatians chapter 3, he says that, don't you know that those of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ? And so in today's passage, he's going to say that as a Christian, we need to rethink how we live, how we walk in this world, and we need to take off certain things, and we need to put on certain things. And so that's why I titled today's sermon, Take Off and Put On, Take Off and Put 
on. Can you do me a favor? Can you say take off? And can you say put on? Let's join, please join me in a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for just a wonderful time of worship, Lord, and your, we know that your spirit is here, God, and Lord, we just pray for the remainder of our time together here, God. Uh, uh, we, I just hide myself behind the cross, Lord, that God, that I will just absolutely get out of the way, God, and you will get all the glory, honor, and praise. We thank you, Lord, for what you are about to do uh, today. We love you and we praise you. It is in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today, it is my prayer that as we kind of go through this passage here, uh, how, how, you know, the Christian's new clothes, what we ought to take off and what we ought to put on, my prayer is that all of us, that we would leave here this morning uh, with at least one thing, right? One thing. I want to invite all of us today. This is going to be a participation sport, okay? So I want you to kind of think, and I want you to invite the Holy Spirit as we go through this text today and ask Holy Spirit, what is one thing that I need to take off this week? And what is, you know, a virtue, uh, a behavior, uh, an attitude, uh, something true of me, and this is not part of my new self, but now I, but I'm in Christ. And so what do I need to take off today? And at the same time, what do I need to put on as well? What's something, Lord, that you have gifted me that is true of me that I need to express to the people around me? And that my prayer is that, you know, collectively over time that we, we all as a church, we look like Jesus. And so uh, here, people, when they look at us, right, they look at Edge City Church and they're like, you know what? I'm pretty sure they're Christians right there. I'm pretty sure because I can tell by the way that they live their lives. And so that's where we are headed this morning. And so I want you to keep your Holy Spirit radar up, okay? Um, and so what's, you know, the Holy Spirit going to speak through the word today? What's one thing that we need to take off? What's one thing that we need to put on? And so let's just kind of hop into our text uh, today. And so I just want to point out in verse 17, uh, our, our, our text is kind of structured this way, right? Um, it kind of lays out that verse 17 all the way to 24 is basically Paul. He is presenting this idea that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. And so you need to take off some things and you need to put on some things. And then in verse 25 to the end, he actually is going to list five articles of clothing that we need to swap out. Okay, so verse 17 to 24, uh, I'm going to go pretty quick, and we're going to kind of go to verse 25 all the way to the end, and we're going to look at these five articles of clothing. So let's just walk through our first uh, uh, verses here. Uh, verse 17 starts off this way. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Okay, so it's interesting here the way that Paul starts off, by the way, right? Like, it's interesting because he tells the Ephesians not to walk like the Gentiles do. It's interesting because they are Gentiles, right? They are literally just, these people in Ephesus are largely, if not entirely, these people are Gentiles. And so how is it that Paul is saying don't live like who you are. These Gentiles are like, you know, like, hey, we're Gentiles here. Like, what else do you want us to be? Okay, Paul? What is Paul saying here? What is he saying? 
to be a Gentile to them referred to their ethnic origin. This was their cultural background. This was their family of origin. This was their skin tone. This was their accent, the school that they went to. This was the people that they grew up with. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that as a Christian, your primary point of identification, the most defining thing about you now is not the neighborhood that you grew up in. It is not the family background. It is not the culture that you grew up in. It is not the school that you went to. It is not the country that you live in. But your primary point of identification is in Christ. You see, you used to, if Paul was writing to us right now, right, he would be writing it like this. He would say this. He would say, you are no longer a New Yorker or you are no longer an American. He's saying, yes, you used to just go with the flow. You used to just drink down whatever culture kind of gave, gave you. And he's saying you are no longer primarily an American, you are a citizen of heaven. The most real thing about you is your union with Jesus Christ. You are no longer to live like the rest of America, like the rest of your coworkers, the rest of your friends, the rest of your family members, your, your school, right? You need, he's saying you need to be distinct. I have called you out of this. And then in verse 18, he says this, they... And he's referring to the culture that they have been called out of. He says, they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity." Now, real quick, he's defining the Gentiles here the way that they used to walk, saying that you no longer live like this. You're supposed to live this way. And in so doing, he is not describing the first century Gentile culture, but he's describing everyone before they met Jesus Christ, right? And so this is not a compliment here. Like, this is true of all of us the day before we met Jesus Christ, this is the old man that he is describing, and he is going to just call us in verse 22, and he's going to start to say to take this off. And he's going to say, essentially, this is a progression. He says in verse 18, verse 18, he says, due to the hardness of heart, right? He says the source is the heart. The source is the heart. The problem is not just our behavior, it's not just our thoughts, it's actually a hardness of the heart. And apart from Jesus Christ, we have a heart that is proud. We have a heart that does not want to follow Jesus, that doesn't want a Savior and Lord other than ourselves. And so it starts with the hardness of heart that leads to a mind that thinks ugly, that is darkened in their understanding. And we have a heart that's hard. We end a mind that thinks wrongly, that leads to a lifestyle that he says in verse 19. He says, of sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Yikes. So what does that mean? That means everything exactly what our culture celebrates today. <laughs> everything, right? That's what it's saying right there. He basically starts off and he says this short list of sins. And he says sensuality. And so, yeah, what, what is sensuality, right? It, it refers to probably what you assume that it means. Sexual sins. Doing whatever feels good. Doing whatever f- just feeds the flesh, right? And, and isn't it true? Like that is the anthem of our culture right now. Like we're in the middle of this radical, evil, sexual revolution. Our culture calls it pride. Our culture calls it freedom, but the Bible calls it sensuality. And he's saying, you're not called to this anymore, though. You're not called to this anymore. Then it says here, greedy, meaning that we can't get enough of what? Of every kind of impurity that is out there. Like This is like a junk drawer term for like having too much to drink, you know, you know just like partying like crazy, just breaking as many as the Ten Commandments that you can in one night. Like, that's what it means. That's just a way of this saying it in Bible terms. And, and so what does our culture call this, right? College, right? No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. Maybe not, maybe not. But like, that's what we celebrate in our culture, all of this stuff. And he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. But this is our culture. This was their culture And this is our culture as well. This is normative in the culture. And he's saying, as a Christian, there are some things that you need to take off. Like you should be distinct in your relationship with God. And some things need to just come off. And this used to be true of you. Then he says in verse 20, he says this in verse 20, but that but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not the way that you learned Christ. Okay, that phrase right there, to learn Christ, is a way of saying become a Christian in this passage, right? And so I find it interesting that he doesn't say, but this is not the way that you heard about Christ. This is not the way that you heard the gospel. This is not the way that you learned about Jesus. He actually says, this is the way that you learned the verb Christ. Now, to learn a person, right, is a really interesting phrasing here. So I got in this rabbit trail of just like my study of my study this week in preparation for this sermon. Like, I was looking at that word, right, to, to learn Christ. And one of the commentators that I read, um, O'Brien, he said it like this. He said, the phrase to learn a person, the verb person, appears nowhere else in the Bible until date has not been found in any pre-biblical Greek documents. So what does that mean? That means that Paul probably made up this phrase right here. Like he is being just creative with the language at his disposal. And he is trying to get get this idea across to his readers that when you become a person, 
You are not just defined by what you didn't just do and by what you do now, but when you come to faith in Jesus, you actually know a living person. You learn Christ. You learn a person. You don't just learn orthodoxy. You don't just learn a doctrinal affirmation, a a statement that you belong. You are coming to know a person in Jesus Christ. And from that, he's saying, that changes everything. That changes everything. From the person, when you know Jesus, it it changes everything. It gives you this new heart. It, It gives you this new mind. It gives you this new identity, a new man. And out of that comes a new activity. That phrase, in Christ, by the way, it is used some 27 times in Ephesians to communicate that same idea. Again, what is truest of us, what is the most defined by is our union with Christ. And Paul says that he is in us and we are in him. So our identity is with Jesus. We are a new creation and that is the most defining thing about us. And from that, everything changes. And so something needs to come off and some things needs to be put on. And that is what he's getting at here. He goes on to say in verse 21, he says this, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, or here he goes to put off. There's our key word right there. Um, It's the same verb to remove an article of clothing that we see here. And so, which belongs to you from your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And here's the other key word here. He says, put on, right? That same verb is to put on an article of clothing. You put on a coat, you put on Christ and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so he's saying here, the old you is gone. You learned Christ. You met a person. You are saved by grace. And now this new person defines you. And you need to actively live this out. You need to live out this new identity. And and he's saying that be the new you when you, like, be who you are in light of that, right? Be who you are in light of that. There's, um, there's this f- uh, famous story of um, a person by the name of Augustine. I don't know if you've heard of Augustine. He was this, uh, a famous uh, theologian. Uh, he's also known as St. Augustine or St. Augustine, a famous theologian and writer. And uh, the story goes that prior to coming to Jesus, this man, Augustine, had a reputation of being a promiscuous guy. This man traveled and he liked to visit the brothels in the towns that he would go to. And so there's a story that is often told about Augustine um, shortly after this man's conversion. And that he went one day to a particular town. And as he walked in this particular town, he walked through a particular brothel that he, this man used to frequent. And so in so doing, there was this certain woman, this working woman who recognized him. And so she cried out to him. She hollered at him and she just, you know, tried to make eye contact with this man. Um, but the story goes 
Augustine avoided all contact with this woman. She, he just kept on walking. And um, in an effort to get his attention to attract his business, she yelled out, Augustine, it is I. To which Augustine didn't even look back. He continued to walk. He instead hollered back, yes, I know, but it is not I. You see, what Augustine knew was what Paul was teaching us in this verse, that when you and I, when we come to Christ, you are fundamentally a different person. You are a new person. Like, you're still you, but you aren't you, right? Like, you're no longer a gen- you are no longer a Gentile. You are no longer who you were before. You are in union with Jesus Christ. You are a new you. And so we need to put to death that which used to define us and to put on that which is truest about us now. And this, guys, this is the heart of Christianity. Again, it is not about religion. It is not about a worldview, a philosophy, an ethical code. It is at its heart about a person and us becoming a new person in relationship to the person of Jesus Christ. And so what Augustine knew this, right, that he was a new person. He knew that he had this new identity. And in response, he chose to live out of that reality and to take off what used to define him and to put on the new man which was a life that loved Jesus and lived in a way that honored God. And what Ephesians is calling each one of us to do is that, right? It's calling us for that. In verse uh, 22 here, he's telling us some things that you need to take off, right? These are things that used to define you and I. And what we need to do is we need to take these things off and we need to put on certain things. So let's read that. Verse 22 here, it says this. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And he says here, and it's corrupt. And get this here. He says, deceitful desires. Okay, deceitful desires. How many of you know that you de- your desires for temptation are deceptive? How many of you have figured out that they are lying to you? It is lying to you. And that's what he's telling you today. He's saying the old man used to say, hey, these desires, if you follow these desires, it will give you joy. If you follow these desires, it will bring you life. It will fulfill you. And how many of us have listened to those temptations? We have listened to those deceitful desires, pursued those desires, what it told you, and what did it bring? It brought depression, right? Said that this will bring you fulfillment. And what does it bring you? Emptiness. It brings you this hollow feeling, right? This destruction and corruption. And Paul is saying, listen, you used to have a heart that was hard. It didn't believe, you didn't believe God. And so 
your mind believed the wrong thoughts, it didn't think about the right thoughts, and you pursue these deceitful desires, and where did it leave you? It left you empty, it left you lonely, it left you depressed, it left you with regrets, and he is saying, you need to take those, those things off. Take it off, right? Because you have been enlightened now and you need to know that those things are deceptive. Just like Augustine prob- probably still had the same temptations as he walked down that road that he walked down many times before. But what was the difference though? The difference was he knew. He's like, you you're lying, temptation. You are a liar. He, he knew that those desires were deceptive. And so Paul is saying we need to take those things off, right? That is step one. Take off our old de- uh, deceptive desires. And so what are they? We don't just take off, right? Verse 24, it says this. It says, but we put on new desires, right? We put on a new self, It says, quote, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So our eyes are open now. We we take off the old self and we put on the new self. So that was verse 17 to 24, okay? So if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation, you have a new identity, and you have to choose to take off certain things, and you have to choose to put on certain things now. What's Paul going to do now? He's going to give us a list right now. He's going to give us a list of five different articles of clothing as well. Five different things that we need to take off and five different things that we need to put on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just walk through each of them and uh, one at a time. And um, I would like to call this section here uh, five clothing changes that the Christian needs to make. Okay, so here's point number one. This is where I want us to kind of cue in here. Okay, I want really, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit here in this moment because what's the one thing that I can take off and what's the one thing that I can put on? All right, here we go. All right, so here's the first one, okay? Here's the first one is, he says, you need to take off lying and you need to put on truth-telling. You need to take off lying and you need to put on truth-telling. Verse 25, it reads, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Right? That's what the Christian should look like right there. We tell the truth. So the old man didn't really want to, didn't really care about telling the truth, right? The old man just cared about the optics of things. The old man bent the truth The old man wanted to just uh, minimize weaknesses, exaggerate strengths, uh, present whatever image to to win friends, to impress people, and to just build up our own ego. Why? Because we're fragile and, and we needed people's approval. But the old man was all wrapped up in what other people thought about him, thought about his reputation. And so what we had to do was we had to fabricate a facade called falsehood. That's what he says in verse 25. And Paul says, listen, that was the old man. That was the old self. The the new man can take off the falsehood. And what can he put on? He can put on truth. 
The new man has nothing to hide. The new man has nothing to defend. The new man is just united with and transformed by Jesus Christ, and so he can tell the truth. The new man is now secure in his identity as a child of God, nothing to prove, no need to perform in front of anybody. And so as in Christ, the new self, right, where we can just wear our sins, we can wear our shortcomings on our shirt sleeves. Why? Because that doesn't define us. That does not define who we are. And so we don't need to pretend that we are perfect. We don't need to perform to earn other people's approval. Instead, the gospel, in the gospel, we realize that we are forgiven and we are free. And so the new self can now speak the truth in love to others. So we don't need to flatter. We don't need to pretend. And so Edge City Church Those of us here and those of us that are watching, those of you that are watching online, I want to ask us all, is there one area in our life that you are putting on a facade, that you're putting on a falsehood? Do you have secrets? Do you have lies? Do you present this image to others to win their approval? Because the gospel frees us of that, to take it off and to speak the truth in love. So the first thing, the old self takes off lying and 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 puts on truth telling. Okay, so so now the second article of clothing that we need to change. Um, He says this, that we need to take off unrighteous anger and we need to put on righteous anger. We need to take off unrighteous anger and we need to put on righteous anger. Uh, Verse 26, it says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. (laughs) Okay, so this is fascinating here, right? Like it's interesting that Paul doesn't tell us don't be angry anymore. Instead, he kind of tells us like what redeemed anger looks like. And he gives us these three senses in which anger needs to just go away, right? There's like this old self-anger, Number one, he says this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Okay, so what he's saying is there's a certain kind of anger, right, that just leads to sin. That's not really in play anymore for a believer, right? And that kind of anger, we need to take that kind of anger off, right? Because, listen, anger is such a powerful emotion, so powerful. And when the emotions of anger takes over the influence of the Spirit of God that is leading our lives and the ability to hear from a holy God to discern what is right, when that takes over, it can lead to all kinds of sin. It can lead to harsh words, insults, using God's name in vain, uh, lack of self-control, even violence. And Paul says, Yeah, anger is still in play, but not that kind of anger, though. Not that kind of anger. So that needs to come off. Number two, he says this. uh, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, so what he's saying there is that there is a timeline for godly anger, right? And the timeline is short, right? Like, we can be angry in short spurts. 
The old self had this long timeline of anger, right? It, 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 it just, you know, it means it shouldn't fester. Like the old self let the anger sit and just fester and just build up bitterness and build up resentment and build up this callous heart, a hardened heart toward people. And Paul says, we got to take that off, Christians. As followers of Jesus, we got to take it off. That's not the anger that we should have now, right? So that has to come off. Number three, he says this, give no opportunity to the devil, right? The prolonged anger just opens the door. It is a door that is wide open for the influence of the enemy to come in our lives, and it can lead to all kinds of temptations if we let that go. It can lead to gossip, it can lead to slander, it can lead to self-righteous pride, it can lead to contempt, right? And Paul says that does not work for a Christian, so we need to take off unrighteous anger, and we need to put on righteous anger. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 26, literally commands us to be angry, right? Isn't that interesting? The Bible says, be angry, but it says, be angry and do not sin. So what that means is that as, as followers of Jesus, as this new self is not like this, you know, emotionless, indifferent, kind person that is just bubbling along in life, right? No, we need to be angry, Christians. We should be angry. Like, we should be angry at sin. We should be angry at injustices. Jesus, he had anger. Jesus' anger caused him to turn the tables in the temple. Why? Because the vulnerable were being exploited and God's house was being corrupted. And so the new self, we love what Jesus loves and we hate what Jesus hates. But it's this redeemed anger. It is an anger that actually leads to faithfulness and worship, not an anger that leads to sin. So that's the second one. And so let me ask us here today and what those watching online, is there an unrighteous anger in your heart? Is there a prolonged anger in your heart? Are you allowing anger to give foothold to the devil? What do you need to take off? What kind of anger? And also at the same time, maybe we should put on some anger. Maybe we need to, you know, like, where do you tolerate things in the office, in your workplace, with your family, in your own heart, in the culture just at large? Like, maybe some things should bother us and anger us. So where do I need to take off the anger? And where do I need to put on the anger? Third article of clothing. Let's keep going through this wardrobe here. So remember, uh, let's try to look for one thing here that we can apply this week. Let's all do it together, okay? I'm included. Let's all do it together. So he says this. Uh, the next thing is you need to stop stealing and you need to put on honest work and generosity. You need to stop stealing and you need to put on honest work and generosity. He says this, verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what needs to come off is he says the old self Uh, Before we were defined by Jesus Christ, we didn't take responsibility for ourselves. The old self didn't want to work for what he got. He wanted others to work for him and wanted to get it, right? The old self was a thief. The old self was a taker. The old self was not a giver, but the old self looked for dishonest gain. And Paul says, that's not how it works for a Christian, though. So that's got to go right? The, the, the thief should no longer steal. And then he, then he tells us to put on, what does he tell us to put on? Put on honest work with our hands, meaning that we take responsibility for ourselves so that we might have something to share with everybody else. And so Edge City Church, let me just kind of reaffirm the theology of work right now, because work is good, right? Work, vocation, just tending the garden showed up in Genesis before the fall, right? Before the fall. So work is a good thing. It is a gift from God that we will enjoy in the new creation for all of eternity, right? And Jesus himself put in a good, honest day of work work as a carpenter for uh, most of his life. And so the Bible affirms, right? We We need to work. Second Thessalonians 3, it says that, that if a man isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat, Proverbs 28, 19 says that one who works his, hand, works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases his fantasy will have his fill of poverty. Poverty. 1 Timothy 5 says this, whoever doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. Like what that means is Christians, we work an honest job, we earn a wage, and we enjoy the fruit of our labor. And then verse 28, it says this, we do so, so we might share with anyone indeed. Interesting. So we don't work to earn and hoard. It says we work to earn and share. That is the Christian ethic right there. That's the Christian ethic. I, like, I love what John Wesley said. John Wesley, he said this, Work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, and give as much as you can. That's what a Christian does. We work and we share. So that's the third article of clothing here. Uh, So here's the fourth one. Our next uh, change of clothes is this, that we need to take off corrupt speech and we need to put on edifying speech. We need to take off corrupt speech and we need to put on edifying speech. Verse 29, he goes on to say this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion and that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right, so here Paul is saying in this text, the next thing that we need to take off is corrupt language, corrupt language talk. It's interesting, the word that Paul uses here for the word corrupt, I was, I was looking at this, it's the very same adjective that is used in the New Testament when it, when it refers to rotting fish, right? And so this is it's like corrupting fish. 
So it's, it's words that smell bad. It's words that do not nourish. It's words that actually poison. It is words that make other people sick. And so I want to ask specifically, what is the corrupting talk that we need to take off? And Paul is saying, you know, maybe, maybe what is Paul saying? Like, is he, is he saying, like, we, as Christians, we shouldn't swear? Like, don't use curse words? Is that what he's saying? Well, you know, to answer that, it may be appropriate for us not to use swear words. Maybe it's not becoming of a Christian, right? But that's not what Paul is talking about here. That's not what he's saying. In this context, Paul is actually referring to speech. That is actually the opposite of building people up. Corrupting talk is talk that does not build up. And so specifically, this rotten language, it is a language that tears down. It is a language that divides. It is a language that insults. It is a language that belittles other people. And so Paul is saying, listen, these kind of words that mock, that insults, that tear down, especially in the church, do not belong among Christians. Like that used to be the thing that, you know, your tongue just kind of rattled it off and it was fun to do that and you could do that. But now as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Like you actually need to take that language off. It does not fit well on a Christian. It doesn't work well in the family. It doesn't work well in the church. It doesn't work well in the workplace. And, and there's this other commentator that I, love to, that I love to read and I love to hear him preach as well. His name is Tony Marita. Pastor Tony, he says this in his uh, book on this passage. This is what he says. He says, The Christian life involves the constant encouragement of others. If your disposition is cynical and critical and there is no warmth and encouragement, you are not a fit Christian leader in your job, in your family, or in your church. And so Paul says, we need to take that off. And we actually need to put on a language that builds up. It is a new article of clothing that we need to put on, words that build up, right? Words that just encourage the saints. And then he says this, ending at the end of verse 29, he says this, and in so doing, you give grace to the hearers. You give grace to the hearers. Like what, a, what a thought, right? What a thought that our words can be means for grace to get from God to somebody else. Your words can actually build somebody up in the faith. And that is a real thing. Like we should not minimize this at all. Do not minimize this. And so I wanna challenge us. If you see somebody that is being used by God, say words to their face, right? Like say words out loud to them. Say it so they could hear it and they could feel it. Like if you see somebody that is growing in Jesus Christ and that, that is just being used by God and you're just like, man, that is great what they're doing. Like that is so helpful. Like it's like the grace, like, and, and you never say those words to them. If you never say it, 
You know what it is? It's like the grace that just dies. It never comes to full term. The grace never gets to them because it stops in you. And Paul says, hey, you need to loosen your lips. Come on. You need to loosen it up with some encouragement. Like you need to tighten your lips with, with words of criticism and tearing down, but you actually need to learn the skill set of encouraging other people and to build other people up because that is God's grace to them. You know what it's like? It's like, it's like the water that is being held uh, uh, to flow in a dam, right? Like don't let the dam, don't let that be the dam to God's grace. Be the conduit to it not the dam. And then it's interesting because it says in verse 30, right? It says this, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit who is your seal. Now, as I read this, I thought like, how does this fit, right? Verse 29, like it seems to me that they, you know, they like any sin, like we do, any sin potentially grieves the Holy Spirit, like any sin. I think he's like correct about that. But structurally here, the warning in verse 30 is actually tied to the command in verse 21, right? Like it actually fits together structurally. And so based on that, what we can conclude is that Paul is saying this. Paul is saying sins of the tongue that tear other people down are the things that grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit, right? Why is that? Why is that? Like if you, if you zoom out, right? Just like, just zoom out and just look at the book of Ephesians here. What is the theme in Ephesians? Like what's the main argument here that, that Paul is trying to, to make to the church? What is he trying to say? The main theme is this, it's unity. It's a oneness, right? And the theme that he keeps coming over and over and over again is the church is one and that we need to be unified. And so I would conclude, based on this context, that the reason why divisive, tearing down words, right, grieve the Holy Spirit so much, especially in the local church, is because one of the, one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to actually aggressively build up and unify the church of Jesus, Jesus' church. And so when we tear down the church and when we tear down other People, we're actually working against the effort of the Holy Spirit. We're working against it. What happened to my voice? <clears throat> so we're working against that. Thank you. It feels better. And so that grieves the heart of God when we do that. It grieves his heart and we're working against his will. And one of the most divisive and potential weapons to destroy a unified Church are words, corrupt, divisive, and tearing down words rather than building up. And so that's the fourth one. We need to take off words that tear down, and we need to build up words uh, that build others up. And so let me ask this question. In this area, where has your tongue not been tamed? You don't even think about the implications of the words that are coming out, right? You slander a fellow sister. You bring judgment on somebody else. 
Your, your tongue is not under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Where is that area that you need to take off? And at the same time, is there an area where you're like, yeah, I, can, I need to say some encouraging words to people, <laughs> right? Like, where is the Holy Spirit inviting you to look for intentional ways to build somebody else up? The fifth and final article of clothing here, he's going to say this, take off bitterness and malice and put on kindness and forgiveness. Take off bitterness and malice and put on kindness and forgiveness. Let's go to verse 31. At the end, it says, he says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor and slander be put away from you, right? Take it off. Along with malice, he throws that in, be kind, right? Here's the putting on part here. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so reading this last one here, it sounds more like a wardrobe than just like a particular um, article of clothing here. Like Paul here throws in like six different things that we need to take off, right? And, and to be honest, like when you read this, you just think like, is Paul running out of real estate? Like is, you know, is somehow the sun just coming down and he just needs to get everything out in this letter and so kind of throws all this in, right? So you kind of think that. So I was kind of I was studying this and upon further study, I found out that they're actually all tied together, right? There is a theme to this. And the constant theme that I found out is this, is that he lists off six natural responses of a person who has been wronged by somebody else. So what do we do when somebody else sins against us? Like, the other things, right? It's more on the offense, right? Like, hey, here, here's the way that you use your words. Here's the way, you know, where you work. Like, you start here. But this one over here is kind of like, what happens when you get binged up? Like, that's the category, what you need to take off. He says this, it's, it's bitterness, it's wrath, it's anger, it's a clamor, right? That means yelling, uh, slander, malice, Right? That means ill will towards somebody else. Are those not the way that we are to respond when somebody sins against you? Like, how did the old self handle it? Well, you know, the old self set things straight really quick. Like, it popped up. Like, it was clamor. There was slander. Like, you know what? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna just use words against me? Well, I'm going to use words against you. Okay, I'm going to use words against other people around me. And there is a violence that is in my heart towards somebody else who has wronged me. And Paul is saying here, he's saying, yeah, I know that's how you used to roll, but take that off. Take it off. And I'll confess, right, like processing these five for me, this was the hardest to kind of figure out how to get to like the other ones feel proactive and like I can kind of wake up, drink my coffee, pray, pray to God that he will help me and then I can go and encourage somebody. I can prep for the moment, right? I feel like I can get there with God's help. This one, you usually don't get a heads up. Like somebody's gonna sin against me greatly so 
I drink coffee, I pray, and let me handle this well. Like, usually you'd never get a heads up for that. Like, I don't get a text message that says, hey, I'm going to sin against you at 3 p.m. Be ready. Like, this is knee-jerk. Like, how do, how do we respond to this? Well, I think the answer is taking these things all proactively is actually tied to what he tells us to put on. There are so closely related that they are actually the same side of the same coin. And the things that he tells us to put on is this. He says, kindness, tender-hearted, and forgiving each other. And here's why. I think this is the key right here. It ends by saying, just as God in Christ forgave you. So what is he pointing to? The way that Jesus Christ treated us. The way that we take off anger is by looking at the kindness of God and realizing every day that I am not a victim, right? I am, I am not just somebody that has been sinned against, but I am someone that has been treated so kindly by the most important person in my life, and that is God himself. And we need to meditate in this stuff. We need to let this right here shape us. How has Jesus Christ treated you? What has he put on toward you and I? You know what he has? Titus 3, it says this, but when the kindness of God, our Savior came, the kindness of God, our Savior came, and his love for mankind, he saved us. Romans chapter 2, it says, it is God's kindness that brought us to repentance. Psalms 145, verse 8, it says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. He's got a long fuse, right? Abounds in steadfast love, overflowing. Psalm 130, it says this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you are maybe feared. So he keeps no records of wrongs. He erases the list. He does not have a list against you. And God has been so kind and forgiving to you, Christian. So kind that now God says, imitate me. Because you know why? Because you and I, we deserved the wrath and anger toward us. We deserve the malice and the judgment. But if you are in Christ Jesus, God has taken his anger, taking his wrath plus his judgment, and he has poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. Why? So that he could give you kindness. He could give you forgiveness. He could give you grace. He could give you love. He could give you faithfulness. And now he is inviting all of us, so too, you're going to get sinned against. But in the same way that you have sinned against the holy God and he has not rained his wrath on us, so too would you put off your wrath and would you show kindness, put on kindness that God has shown you? Would you put on Christ? That right there is a Christian walk. We are born again. We are new creatures, and therefore we need to take certain things off and we need to put certain things on.
take off, put on. As I invite the worship team to come forward, as I invite you to close your eyes and to bow your head with me. And so I want to ask us, of those five, what is the one thing that you can take off this week? What is the one thing that you can invite the Holy Spirit, right, and say, Lord, this week, I am going to be intentional, right? It is an active verb to take off. And we want, we want to save ourselves, but we can't save it. We can't do it. We, he, he has given us this new identity. It is Jesus that can do that. But what we can do on our part is we can just take off certain things and we can put on certain things. We can be more like Jesus next Sunday than we were today. So what's something that you need to take off? And at the same time, what's something that you need to put on? Like, I didn't used to be good at this, but this week, I want to get better at this. And I'm going to take responsibility. And I want to work hard at work. I want to use my words to build other people up this week. I'm going to be tempted, I know, I'm going to be tempted this week to shade the truth, to look better. Would you, would you, Lord, help me not to do that? But be confident in you to speak the truth. What is it, Lord, that, that I need to take off? And what is it that I need to put on? God wants us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he gives us everything that we need. And what he's given us here is just a list but God has given us so much more. He has given us a new identity. And this is all tied to chapter one that says that in Christ, you are chosen, you are forgiven, that you have been made new, you are adopted, you have an inheritance. It's on the heels of all those riches that he says, so in light of that, take these things off and put these things on. You're a new creation in Christ. That is the gospel good news, that you have a new heart and a new mind and a new identity. And out of that, would we live out these new actions, taking off the old and putting on the new. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel. And we just, Lord, give you thanks because all of this starts with the new identity that we could not earn or work for it. We could never achieve it. That our truest identity before you was sinners dead in our sin, unable to please you, Lord, but our new identity in you is, is it's new. It is flawless before our Father, defined by the relationship with his Son, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray for everyone here, everybody hearing online, watching online, and those uh, that are everywhere, God, that, that, God, would you just shape our hearts in light of that reality, Lord? 
And God, give us that grace now. Holy Spirit, prompt our hearts right now. The one thing we need to take off, or the one thing that we need to put on, and would you empower us with the Holy Spirit intentionally to grow in Christ's likeness this week. And I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Yeah.